Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi. Let's see, I'm always trying to coordinate the audio with the uh, video now. I'm trying to do this. I'm going to do a talk tonight. I wasn't originally planning to, but uh, thanks to some events, uh, and the generosity of a sponsor, so I want to mention it this week. This talk tonight, which you have to do with Second World War, is being sponsored by a new friend of mine, um, Jerry and Lynn Schnitzer, in memory of uh, a cousin, Rabbi Samuel Fishbein, who you have to be old Baltimore and old TA to remember. I didn't know he was a cousin of Jerry Schnitzer's. Uh, Rabbi Fishbein was from Poland. He went through the Holocaust and all that. When I was a little kid, no, before my time, he was teaching in TA, and then he was in the administration for decades. <clears throat> it was a Talmud Chacham and all the rest. He was a good friend of my father, actually. And I had no idea he had a relatives in the town. I thought he's one of these, he didn't get married for a long time. I thought he's one of these people that lost everybody in Europe. I mean, he did lose people in Europe, <clears throat> but the Schnitzer family was from the lucky half that came to this country before the First World War, and therefore they survived the war. And therein lies a tale. Uh, <clears throat> now, I'll tell you where I'm going with this. I mentioned the other day on Sunday in the context of the Tefillah podcast, that Sunday was called, called Chav Sibon, the 20th day of Sibon, which is a notorious day in the Jewish calendar because famous tragedies happened way back when, in the 1100s and in the 1600s, of killings of Jews. <clears throat> 1100s was in France and Blois, and in the 1600s was the Cossack massacres in Ukraine, Chmelnitsky, Xeris Takwatat. In those centuries, everybody was religious, <clears throat> and consequently, when great tragedies happened, they, uh, how should I say, evoked a kind of religious, ritualistic response. And the result was, there were special prayers that were formed for that, and sometimes they fasted. They turned it into a day on the Jewish calendar. It's not so easy to turn something into a permanent day on the Jewish calendar. And I won't say they were 100% successful, because I dare say most people went through this past Sunday without realizing that it's the 20th of Stephen, or even what that means. But nevertheless, it is definitely there. And there are many <coughs> very religious Jews <coughs> excuse me, that, uh, in one way or another, uh, are aware of and commemorate the Chav Sibon, the 20th of Sibon. However, right under my nose, this past week, is a much bigger tragedy. Uh, and this is where our sponsor and his family come in. Uh, that I don't think anybody Jewish pays particular attention to because since it happened in the modern times, when so many Jews are secular, the unity of the Jewish people is like a broken dish. Humpty Dumpty can't put people back together again. And it did not evoke a very specific religious response. But it would be very fitting that it should happen, but it hasn't. <clears throat> I'll tell you exactly what I mean. Two days ago, today is June 23. So two days ago, June 21, is when Hitler... Um, launched Operation Barbarossa. <clears throat> we invaded the East. And that began the actual Holocaust. <clears throat> when you're talking about the mass murder with the deliberate intention of killing all the Jews, young and old and so forth, men and women, children, that actually physically commenced 
uh, in a planned fashion as a policy of a government uh, two days ago in 1941. So what's that, 80 years ago, 81 years ago? Uh, not so long ago. Our sponsor today, Mr. Schnitzer, is old enough to have lived through the Second World War as a kid. Most people listening to this podcast, I'm sure, is like ancient history. Now, the thing is like this. Hitler came to power in 1933. And as I mentioned on another occasion, um, unfortunately for us, he, he brought a certain stroke of genius to his project of going against the Jews because, in my opinion, he combined... Uh, flexibility on the one hand with fixity of purpose on the other. I think he had his eyes on the prize to get rid of the Jews. I don't think himself exactly knew how this would happen. But he figured opportunity would present itself and he was right. Now, from 1933 to 39, uh, before the Second World War started, so Hitler mainly concentrated on the Jews inside of Germany and he didn't kill them. He persecuted them. To be perfectly honest, tried to kick them out of the country. That was the goal. Had, let's just make up a, a, a what if. Uh, there was a possibility that there could have been a Jewish state in Israel in 1937-38. It's called the Peel Commission. Let's just pretend it happened. So in 1938, if they were, let's say they set up a Jewish state. If they did, a guy like Hitler, someone could say, all the Jews get the heck out of Germany, and they would have somewhere to go. And then he would consider himself successful because he made the country free of Jews, no more Jews. The way, for example, a racist in the South would say, I'm going to figure a way to send all the blacks back to Africa. That kind of thinking. This is a racist thinking. And it wouldn't necessarily involve killing them all, just get them out of Germany. <clears throat> That's what he's thinking. Long run, he figures, you know, figures something out for that. The problem is, and that's the reason why, uh, until the Second World War, there wasn't any actual mass killing of Jews in Germany. In fact, there wasn't any. There were some people killed this way, that way, in Kristallnacht, and a little this, a little that. But small numbers, <clears throat> okay? There was various other sorts of persecution and, uh, what shall I say, uh, discrimination, things like that. So life was made hell for the Jews living in Germany, but not to the point of physically going and killing somebody. The problem is that there were 600,000 Jews in Germany. So that's a number that he could concentrate on pushing out of the country. And I would say kicked out about half or got rid of half or something like that. You know, some went to America. Maybe some of you listening to this podcast are from Washington Heights, you know, people who got out that way. In 1938, Hitler took over Austria to add another 200,000. That just complicated matters. 1939, he was able to take over Czechoslovakia, the Czech part, Bohemian Arabia, that added another 50,000, 70,000. So the numbers were getting too big. For him simply to say, get out of here. Um, and then, uh, the Second World War broke out in a very specific way. In order to understand this, and try to make it as easy as possible, K-I-S-S. <clears throat> so let me just simply say this. After the First World War, not the Second, the First World War, there were two big countries with four smaller countries in the middle. The two big countries were Russia on the one hand, and Germany on the other side. And the countries in the middle was Poland and what's called the Baltic States, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia. If you're interested in what I'm saying, get a map and look it up. Just Google Europe at 1920, 1930, and you'll see what I mean. So if you're looking at the map, uh, Russia is on the eastern side of Poland, and those other countries, and Germany's on the western side. The problem is, 
Everybody hates everybody. Who's going to destroy whom? And so to a certain degree, without giving you too many details, the politics at that time was various forms of combination against the others. So in other words, if, if Germany is A and Poland is B and Russia is C, it's a question whether A and B will join up to wipe out C, or whether B and C will wipe out A, or whether A and C will wipe out B. <clears throat> now it turned out the third. A and C joined up to wipe out B. Uh, again, what happened was that Hitler was on a roll. He was able to get Austria and take over a whole country without anybody interfering. He then was able to do it to Czechoslovakia. He figured, if he, it's like a bluff. If he goes and takes over part of Poland, what they call the Danzig Corridor of 1939, and that will uh, get rid of a, a piece of land sticking into Germany that was Polish, then if he takes over that land, nobody will make a war over it. He'll be able to get away with it. And he'll do it. And he'll be even more popular in Germany. In other words, he didn't figure it lead to a war. But the way the politics worked out, without going into details, by the summer of 1939, the British and the French saw these up to monkey business. And therefore they said, if you make any move at all against Poland, we're going to go to war with you. Hitler figured <clears throat> the way to call that bluff, because he didn't want to war with England and France, the way to call that bluff was to hook up with Russia. If Germany and Russia together attack Poland, then that's too powerful a combination for England and France to take on. And that way, he'll be able to take over the part of Poland that he wants. Then England and France won't interfere. That's how it goes. Now, it didn't exactly happen that way, but it involved Hitler cutting a deal with Stalin, who was on the other side of Poland. And uh, even though they were supposed to be blood enemies, and the Nazis hate the communists and vice versa, then these are the extreme right-wingers, these are the extreme left-wingers. But they figured, in the old-fashioned way, pure power politics will trump ideology. Therefore, you, the Hitler cut a deal with Stalin. The Hitler-Stalin deal, or they call it the Molotov-Ribbentrop Treaty, because Hitler's foreign minister was Ribbentrop, and Stalin's foreign minister was Molotov. But the bottom line is that Hitler and Stalin cut a deal. The idea was they'll both attack Poland. Poland will obviously not be able to withstand both sides, Russia and Germany, and England and France will be scared. Uh, and that's the deal that happened. Now, Stalin actually screwed him. Hitler went in. Stalin didn't attack at the same time. He waited a couple weeks and then took his piece. The reason I mention that is because as soon as Hitler went into Poland, England and France declared war on him. And then Hitler was up the creek because, you know, uh, he's going to have to somehow or other end the war with Britain and France. And that might take a long time and cost a lot of men. And he didn't want to do that. As it happened, he was able to knock out France pretty easily, but not England. And England put in Winston Churchill, who said, we are never going to surrender. This war is going to go forever if necessary. And that was trouble for Hitler. Stalin, very cleverly, didn't attack Poland at the same time. He waited a little while after the Germans had, met, had, had crushed most of the Polish army, and he just moved in. And he took over certain parts, which he said are not really Polish, it's parts that Poland didn't have any business owning. It's what you call Eastern Galicia, which was Ukrainian. It's an Eastern, uh, another part, which is uh, called Belarus, really. There are technical ways of explaining this. For those of you listening, uh, Baranovich, for example, would be in Belarus, really. Although it was in the Republic of Poland, because of the way the borders had worked out after the First World War. So, 
I hope I'm not making this too complicated, but I'm trying my best. And the point is that um, you now had Eastern Europe divided. They even said the Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, part of them will fall in the zone of this guy and part of them will fall in the zone of that guy. Hitler basically gave these three countries to Stalin, more or less saying, take it over whenever you want. And uh, obviously, this powerfully affected the Jews. Um, if you're in the part that Hitler took over, well, you know what that means. If you're in the part that Stalin took over, it was problematic because the Russians were very tough, especially against religion and so forth. And they killed plenty of Jews, but not as a matter of policy. And therefore, if you're Jewish and you really wanted to lie low and kiss up to Stalin, you know, really, you could probably make it. So there's a big difference between a Hitler who's going to kill you no matter what, and Stalin, not necessarily. That's the way things were. So from October 39, <clears throat> for another year and a half, a little more, October 39 till June of 1941, <clears throat> right? a year and three quarters, whatever, we had this funny situation <clears throat> where part of the Eastern Europe belongs to Hitler, part of Eastern Europe belongs to Stalin. Millions of Jews are living in the area I'm talking about. That's why it makes a big nafkamito I'm talking about. You understand? Millions of Jews. If you talk about the Republic of Poland in 1939 and the Baltic states, it's three and a half million Jews. That's a big chunk of the Jewish people. The Jewish people were approximately 16, 17, 18 million total. And it's three and a half. It's three and a half, you see? So that's gigantic numbers. And now they're in the worst place in the world. Um, the worst place in the world. Now, let me say this. When Hitler took over his pa part of Poland, all of a sudden he's got a couple million Jews there. What are you going to do with them? Can't, there's not a chance you can kick them out of the country like he was thinking to do with the German Jews in the 1930s. So what are you going to do with them? He didn't make up his mind yet. Obviously he was up to no good. And if he could figure a way to press a, a, a button and kill them all instantly, of course he would do so, obviously. But it wasn't clear totally in his head how it was going to carry out. Uh, so they start putting Jews in ghettos. When the German soldiers came into Poland, they killed a lot of people. As happens in all wars all the time. So they were <clears throat> extra brutal to the Jews. But not with a systematic policy of, of killing everybody. Right? Just being brutal. To tell you the truth, the Russians have been very brutal in the First World War that way. You know? So there you had it. Now, again, I'll say it again. Millions and millions of Jews <clears throat> were involved in this. I'm sure some of you who are listening to this right now have parents, grandparents, whatever, who were in this part of Poland, that part of Poland those years. And that's how it went. Now, what I just described was political expediency, but it was unnatural. Hitler and Stalin super hated each other. Therefore, even though they made a treaty and said they're friends to divide up Poland, really each one was planning to shoot the other. Only question is who's going to shoot first. You understand? That's what happened. Now, over the course of 1939-1940, Hitler was able to destroy France. Then he went to take on England. But it didn't work. The British held him off. It's called the Battle of Britain. And Churchill, like I said, gave all these speeches in which he made it perfectly clear, ain't no way we're making peace with Hitler. Not happening. Okay, we're resolved to destroy every vestige of the Nazi regime, as he said.
Okay? Even though at that particular time, 1940, England was weak, they'd have a tremendous chance of going and wiping out, defeating Germany. <clears throat> but that's the front that he put up. America, I might point out, was neutral. It was not in the war at that time. Not in the war. And the American people weren't interested in getting involved in the war for a whole bunch of reasons. Okay. So here you are, the Jewish people, Seb Pizuri Yisrael, stuck in a bad place, all through the territories of what you and I call Eastern Europe. They would be in the old Republic of Poland, which no longer exists, part of which is under Germany, and part of which is under Stalin. They might be in other territories of the USSR, Stalin's territory, from the old kingdom of Poland long ago. In other words, Jewish communities of millions in Ukraine, Belarus, because that would have been part of Poland and Eastern Europe. Millions of Jews living there. Millions. The ones in the USSR had been under communism for 20 years. Okay, that's true. I don't say you could be religious, though, but if you wanted to and you're Jewish and you really wanted to survive, you could fit in. Just kiss Stalin's rear end every day and say it smells like roses. I mean, that's what you had to do. You think I'm making a joke. That's what you had to do. But people did what they had to do. But Hitler was very frustrated. He said, I don't know why England is not surrendering, not surrendering, making peace with me. If they will make peace with me, call the war off, I'll be very generous. And he meant it. I'll pull out of France. It's possible he might even pull out of parts of Poland. It was just interesting. Churchill said, we ain't talking to Hitler. No way, no how, never. You know what I'm saying? He himself is just trafe. Trafe. And this really infuriated Hitler. And on the other hand, he couldn't attack England because it's across the water English Channel. And so his mind turned to another route. And that was, okay, I haven't finished off England, but they're weak. Let me go and attack Stalin. If I wipe out the Soviet Union, uh, that'll make England mamish alone. America will be too afraid to get in it. And England will have to make peace with me, even though they say they don't want to. And if Churchill doesn't agree, the English people will fire Churchill and put in somebody who will make peace with me. That's what he thought. I'm not saying he was right. We're talking about what was in the mind of Hitler. And you can't say who cares what's in the mind of that madman. It mattered to six million Jews, didn't it? And to millions of others, unfortunately. Unfortunately. This is history. Now, specifically, in the area of the Republic of Poland... As I said before, the parts that Stalin took over were like the eastern parts, which weren't exactly Polish. They had large minorities and sometimes majorities of non-Poles, specifically like where Schnitzer's family was located uh, in Volhynia and in eastern Galicia, where the majority of the population was actually Ukrainian. The Poles had kind of oppressed them in a cultural sense, and the Ukrainians were very angry about this. Okay. Now, ordinarily, who cares? But since a million Jews living there, we care. You see? Believe it or not, Hitler was able to bamboozle Stalin, which is just shocking, because Stalin had the best spy system, by far. But, you you know, when it comes to spies, it's not only the information you find, you have to believe it. And sometimes the guys just refuse to believe the evidence in front of their eyes. We cannot make fun of Stalin. That's exactly what happened to Israel in the Yom Kippur War. They had the evidence, they wouldn't believe it. So, that's what happened to Stalin. And Mamela, Hitler was able to move 
millions of troops and stuff, uh, all up against the line where, where, where Eastern Europe was split. So this side was Hitler, this side was Stalin, and in the middle is a whole German army master over there. He gave him excuses why it happened, and the remarkable thing is Stalin fell for it. It's, it's just minishamayim, it's extraordinary. And Churchill warned him what's happened, and Roosevelt warned him, Stalin wouldn't listen. His own spies warned him what happened, Richard Zorga, he wouldn't listen. And so the result was, uh, remarkably, that two days ago, June 21, or 26 days in Sivan, which is only six days after Chaf Sivan, after the 20th Sivan, Hitler launched a successful surprise attack all along the Eastern Front, running from one end of Eastern Europe to the other, and other is from the Baltic Sea in the north to the Black Sea in the south. Now, if you don't know the geography, I can't help it because I don't know how to do videos and this sort of thing. But anybody can get a map and look at what I'm talking about if you're interested. Now, you see, it's a huge line running from all the Karka from this sea to this sea. And millions on one side and millions on the others. And he totally caught the Russians with their pants down. This was Stalin's fault. I'm not going to go into all that now. The Russians lost millions and millions of men. That's a lot. Millions and millions. And the Germans cut through them like a knife through butter. And that started June 21. And over the course of June, July, August, September, October, you couldn't stop the Germans. The Russian army tried to stop them here. They got wiped out. The Russian army tried to stop them there. They got wiped out. A third place, a fourth place. The Germans were just brilliant. In fact, there were occasions where the Germans surrounded and crushed 650,000 Russian soldiers in a single battle. You see? That's incredible. So they were just good, I'm sorry to say. And the result was that the whole of Eastern Europe, meaning for what we're talking about, the whole of the Ukraine and the whole of Belarus and the whole of Lithuania and Estonia was taken over by the Germans. They physically occupied them. So this is something that starts this week and goes on for six months. They even got, by the time you get to November, December, they even finished beyond Ukraine into Russia, Mamish. You understand? Because Russia doesn't start until after you go through Belarus and the Ukraine, which is big. They even got beyond that and they got up to Moscow. At the last minute, they were defeated at Moscow in December of, actually, on December 7th, <laughs> 1941, same day the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. This is your basic World War II history. Now, why am I saying this today? This is an unbelievably bad day in Jewish history. Because as Hitler was preparing, right? As Hitler was preparing to launch this surprise attack, obviously he massed tanks, airplanes, commandos, all that business. You know, your logistics. He also now said, <clears throat> we're going to go into here. This new territory is full of Jews, millions of Jews. I don't want them there. So now we're just going to kill them all. Okay? The way, <clears throat> what's the technology? He used what they're famous Einsatzgruppen, which means special detachments. And there'll be German soldiers, special units, that their idea is to go town after town and shoot all the Jews. Uh, it started, in other words, two days ago. By today, June 23, 1942, in places like eastern Galicia, which was overrun very quickly, in Volinia, where Jerry Schnitz is, where Rabbi Fishbein's family is from, a lot of people in thickly populated with Jewish communities, the Germans overran it very quickly with uh, the tanks and motorcycles, this and the other. And when they did, one of the things they did was the following. 
Let's say you're going to a town, not a gigantic city with a million Jews, 100,000 Jews, but your typical town. Let's say uh, a typical town in Eastern Europe, the village, the town, you have 1,000 Jews, 2,000 Jews, 3,000, that's all. 2,000 here, 1,000 here, 1,000 here, until you get to the next village. 1,000 is doable. 500 is doable. 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 is doable. You can dig a big a ditch and, and march them out and shoot them. And I think many people are aware that the locals wanted to help. So the Lithuanians, the Latvians, the Estonians, the Ukrainians, and the Belarusians said, oh, this would be good. We have 2,000 Jews in this town. That's 2,000 too many. If we kill them, we can take over their businesses. It'll be great. You see? All their property, it'll be gewaldi. And so they helped. Matter of fact, a lot of times the Germans didn't have to do the work. And the result was what we called the Holocaust by bullets. In which in six months, they shot, in this way that I just described, 1.5, a million and a half Jews. Men, women, and children. There's no concentration camps yet. There's no gas chambers. None of that. That comes in 1942. I'm talking about 1941. And so they went from place to place. And if you've ever been in Eastern Europe, they can show you town after town after town. I was in White Russia, you know, and these near Rodin. Go town after town. They say, oh, follow me. If you go nearby the town, there's like a little forest. And there's a sign. Over here, they shot everybody and dumped them in a big pit. You understand? And sometimes they didn't bury them so well. There's, there's, sometimes the bones are still rising up today because they didn't do a good job of burying them. So this meant... You carried out a mass murder in a deliberate way, such as never was done before. You're now upping the ante from being very anti-Semitic, uh, loathing and hating the Jews, to, to going all the way and saying, we're going to kill each and every one of them, even a baby. Even a baby. Each and every one. And that the only solution to the Jewish problem is get rid of, make sure there are no more Jews. This was... What should I say? A barrier, a psychological barrier to Hitler crossed. And they did do it. And the only problem is, when you get like to a large community, 20,000, 30,000, 50,000, all that, it's too many. Can't shoot so many people. It's not a big enough hole. You understand? That, they tried that with Babi Yar. They had like 25, I forget how many, 20,000, 30,000 in Kiev. And they took them out and shot them all. But like, took a lot of toll on the, on the killers. Poor guys. Nebuch. So, once Hitler did that, he crossed the Rubicon. Because he was committing a crime of unprecedented proportions to deliberately, not in the course of battle or anger or something like that, cold calculated to kill out men, women, and children was something that had never been done, you know, and searching them out and trying to prevent them from escaping and getting them in each town and old ladies and, you know, and shooting everybody. This was new. And it meant it put him in a way, let's put it this way, he cannot you know, make peace with the uh, British and the West because uh, you know, it crossed like a no-no. This was too much. He knew this. And that's why when you come to the end of 1941, when they're killing the last of the 1.5 million, so Hitler, America just got in the war at that time in the December 7th in the aftermath. So now Hitler said like this, I'm up against three, against England, uh, Stalin, and America. 
That's a hard one to beat. That's a hard one to beat. He's very furious that things had developed in that way. Ah, it's because of your own stupid policy. It's never his fault. In the mind of the person I'm talking about, Adolf Hitler, it's never his fault. It's somebody else's fault. And so, one of the targets of his anger, not the only one, were the Jews. And he said, since I'm in for a penny, I might as well go for a pound. Once I did it, let's do it right. And then the question they focused on was how to kill off all the other Jews in Europe. And theoretically, I repeat, theoretically, how to kill all the Jews in the world. <clears throat> did Hitler have a hava meaning that he's going to be able to conquer the U.S. physically, the British Empire and the Soviet Union? Hard to tell one through his mind. <laughs> you know, but at least he said like this, at least in Europe we'll kill everybody. The whole Europe will kill everybody. And that at least will be something that you can't take away. It's like building a highway. Whatever you want to say about me, the highway's there. So whatever you want to say to me, I got rid of all the Jews. Once he did that, then in the beginning of 42, he took it to the next level, which they organized at the Vanze Conference, the system of industrialized mass murders, and they started with these things called extermination camps and the gas chambers, all the rest of it. But the beginning of it, you understand what I'm saying? The beginning of this thing going into real phase in which you say we're now actually going to go and carry out something never done before. We're going to go and, and physically kill everybody. Kill men, women, children with no exceptions. No exceptions. This started this week in uh, June 21. In other words, today's Thursday, so Tuesday was the anniversary of this invasion. And it is surprising. And, and let me put it this way. So if you have family in Volinia like the Schnitzers do, if you have family anywhere in Eastern Europe, in the way that I'm describing, let's say, for example, Lithuania, the country of Lithuania, if you have family from Lithuania, they were all killed starting uh, this week. Didn't take that long. June, July, August, I think they're all dead. By the time you get to a few months, all the Jews in Lithuania have been killed, except like in three places. They set up three ghettos in uh, Vilna, Kovna, and Shavl, I think. My father's from Shavl. And if I remember correctly, that's it. Everywhere else, there weren't any Jews. You know what I mean? No, you went to, you know, Krakenova and Panovich and this place and that tells and uh, they shot them all. That's why the Yeshiva world is a little bit familiar. They'll say, this is the day they shot everybody in tells. And they might commemorate that based in Cleveland. Or it could be. I mean, really. Or Slobodka or something like that. But it's more than that. Uh, they, they just went and shot everybody. So, this is a terrible thing. Uh, and it triggered the 1.5 million, as you know, triggered another couple million. I told you once the Holocaust is more than nature, five and a half million, something like that. So it triggered another 4 million barrack or something like that. And this is the greatest tragedy, physical tragedy in Jewish history that I know of. So it is funny that a week like this goes by without any commemoration, ritual commemoration in our history has to do with the, na the nature of the toxic relations between the from and the not from in our times, especially in the aftermath of the Second World War. It is funny to me that this is the way it is, because if anything would call for slichos and things like that, I think this would. The Hebrew date was 26 Sivan, so, uh, you know, it's around the same time. Let me see, Sunday was 20, so what's today in, in the calendar? It's around that, you know, Monday was 21, Tuesday was 22, 
Wednesday, 26. Today should be 24, see one. So I'm talking about uh, this coming Shabbos, if you want to look like that. This coming Shabbos will not only be Parsha Shlach and so forth, Shabbos of Orkham, I guess, but it will be the anniversary, the very sad anniversary, of the actual beginning of the mass murder in a physical way. The only reason the Germans moved to the next level was because it wasn't efficient enough. And uh, turned out that when you start shoot a lot of people, it had a psychological toll on the people shooting them. That's what they say. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, it doesn't matter. Because, as we know, between then and 1945, they finished off the other 4 million. So, uh, this is a day worthy of commemoration. And if you have family like the Schnitzers doing the others and eat from that part of Europe, from Eastern Galicia, from Volinia, from other parts of Ukraine, from Minsk, as I had family there, and parts eastward, Chabad land, as they call it, this is when the the mass killing started. So uh, I think it's it's worthwhile to mention that in the context of a podcast. It behooves us, anybody's interest in history and in the Jewish past, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the glorious and the uh, tragic, uh, tragedy, this is the big tragedy and I just wanted to call to your attention so I do want to thank uh, uh, Jerry Schnitzer and Lynn uh, for this podcast for sponsoring it and Rabbi Fishbein who I knew, I actually know where he's buried believe it or not, in Yerushalayim at Harizasim. Um he lost a family I know he was psychologically, naturally you know, was psychologically scarred by the Holocaust of course, look what I just described until June 21, it was livable. After June 21, it was not livable. If you lived in anywhere in Eastern Europe, beyond the invasion lines, where there was a community of of less than 10,000 or something like that, which is most, they just shot everybody. Sometimes they did in several waves, you know. You'll read about this town. They shot a bunch of people this time, then a bunch of people that time, a bunch of people that time. But by the time you get to December of 41, they finished them all off. So these are um, um, uh, dates that should be at least, if not commemorated, they should be acknowledged in Jewish history. Anyway, on that sad note, I wish you a good Shabbos. I repeat again, if I'm right, this Shabbos is the anniversary of Operation Barbarossa in, in the Jewish calendar on 26 days in Sivan. And with that, I wish you, as I said before, a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.